Greetings on this good day that the Lord has made. I'm Joe Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. I encourage you to learn more about the wonderful work that God is leading us into around the world. You can do so by going to traincpe.org, or you can follow the links from our webpage at breadoflifeboise.org. There you'll also learn about our Missions Church Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, and it's from that fellowship that we share with you God's Word. In Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 17, Paul takes on the religious Jew who thinks that his privileges and position from God places him above others and above God's judgment. This attitude of self-validation and assertion took many of the Jews into grave sin. And that same attitude can do the same today for the one who professes the gospel of Jesus Christ. If this gospel is the banner under which you think you're immune from God's judgment and aloof from giving account for your actions to Him, then your faith is still resting in yourself. And what you believe in will eventually be revealed in how you live. Look what it says here in verses 19 and 20. And are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness. That might be their witness to the Gentile pagan society. And an instructor to the foolish and a teacher of babes. Now there is their discipleship and raising up of others as they come into the faith. Having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. They have this confidence in themselves. The point here is that it is a great responsibility when God gives us these wonderful privileges and it places upon us a wonderful role before the world. We are given a position like the Jew has before the world to present the truths of the gospel and God's saving message to the world. It's true for the Jew in their day. It's true for us today. But how often have those who teach and preach and position themselves as leaders and instructors fallen and with their fall dishonored the name of Jesus Christ? How often it happens. Failures that bring shame to the name of Jesus Christ. How did that happen? Well, I think what happened was this. That something good went terribly wrong. These individuals wrapped themselves in their mission, in their placement, in their position, in their instruction, in their teaching, and in the words and in the thoughts that they were communicating for their own sake. But they never personally surrendered to those words themselves. They gave it as a point of influence in their life but they never fell under and surrendered to it themselves. They projected themselves on the outward forms of these truths to give them a sense of significance and importance, and they wrote it out, but they did not come and bow down in full surrender at the cross of the Savior, and so find all their glory in the cross. Out of this self-vindicating, self-asserting that comes out of the great privileges that should humble us and the great positions that we have that again should cast us upon God and humble us if we don't allow them to take us that place but instead it fills us with our own sense of position and honor and I'm above it all well then what comes as a result of that well what comes it is a blasphemous testimony to those who are looking on from the outside so look what it says here now go to verse 21 You therefore who teach another, do you teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who you make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? 
For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. Look at that passage. All right, I know what theft is. I recognize adultery, I know what that is, but I don't really know what it means by this robbing temples. So let's look at that one. The Jews were so against idolatry in any way and the defilement that came through false worship that they had set up a whole level and standard of laws in order to keep them from coming in contact with these idolaters when they were coming and going from their idols and from their idol worship in order they might keep themselves undefiled from all the world that surrounded them and all this idolatrous worship that was around them. But Paul is indicating that some of these same Jews who bent over backwards to show that they were keeping themselves unstained from the idolatrous temples were at night sneaking into those temples and robbing the offerings that people were leaving in the temple to their gods and bringing it home at night. Now you might say, well, he's just using that as a metaphor. He's maybe just exaggerating. But if you go to Acts chapter 19, there's a story in Ephesus where the people rose up in revolt against the message that Paul was preaching in Ephesus. And they were causing such a stir that the city clerk had to come and try to calm them down. And the city clerk says this to them in verse 35 of Acts chapter 19. Here's what we read. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? They're idolaters. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and do not do anything rash. They were about ready to go into a citywide revolt. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. I guess it was going on. People were actually sneaking into the temple that they reviled as stained and at night they were robbing things. Why not? They're not really gods. Our God is the God. Hmm. What does that mean? What does it reveal? Well, somehow there's an attitude that begins to develop an individual in which they can actually, in that attitude, feel that it covers them from because they are privileged and because of their great position and because of the great honor they give themselves. It covers them and they're okay and it's a cloak from which they can do things that they shouldn't be doing. You know, most people look at this passage and they say, well, Paul is kind of exaggerating. He's giving an extreme position here, but he's using it in order to kind of draw attention to people that are maybe doing sins that are more minor. They're not doing those types of things, but he's just intimating that it's along the same line. But I think actually Paul knows that this kind of behavior is taking place. And many of those peoples and those individuals who are protesting that they're beyond God's judgment because they're religious and good Jews. Paul knows it because he had been a religious and good Jew himself. And he had clothed himself in all this kind of behavior. And he knew what happened behind the surface. He knew how people used those things to position themselves. I'm inclined to believe that Paul knew this was exactly the kind of thing that many Jews were engaged in. The outward boasts and forms had been maintained, but little by little, they had fallen into patterns of behavior that led them into gross sin, to the point where they were stealing, committing adultery, sneaking into pagan temples at night to loot them. How did they get there? Well, you know, when a person commits adultery, we say, oh, they've fallen into adultery. A person gets caught cheating on his taxes or embezzling at his business and he's fallen into, you know, you don't fall into those things, you land in those things. You got there by a series of compromises all along the way. 
compromises in which you thought you had some sense of entitlement, some sense of impunity, that you could wrap yourself in your Christian name and God would forgive you because the gospel had become a facade behind which you hid while you pursued your own self-interest. And eventually, what you really believed in, what you were really living for, shows up in the worst kind of behavior because you're in that path. Praise God that He lets those things show up so you can see what you really are without Him. And slowly begin living for yourself and eventually you land in a place where a great sin brings great dishonor and blasphemy to the name of the Christ that you have professed. Let me read to you three points of application. Number one, don't mistake full-headed intellectual delights in the wonder of the Christian faith and truth for a full-hearted surrender to Christ. Just because you know it, just because you believe it, just because you can state it, just because you can even argue for it, doesn't mean you've surrendered to it. Don't mistake the sentimental stirrings at the beauty of the gospel for a self-emptying, Christ-filling work of grace that God brings to those who've surrendered to that gospel and given their life to Jesus Christ. You can develop a sentimental, just, preference. And it can bring back to you all kinds of good, heart-warming memories. And you can feel touched by the Spirit. But it's just your own spirit. Kind of laying itself over the sentimentality of these things. And it can warm you. And it can bless you, in a sense. But that doesn't mean you've emptied your life to Christ. You've surrendered and said, Lord, I believe and trust in you alone and I give myself in complete surrender. Just because a person is intellectually, emotionally, and willfully committed to asserting the truths of Christianity, being a part of an argument or defending it or standing for it and getting into the middle of the political debate of our ages, does not mean that they've surrendered at the foot of the cross of the Lord Jesus. They may only be projecting themselves upon the surface of these truths for their own sense of self-importance for their own self-asserting ways, much like the Jews projected themselves upon the law of God for their own sense of self-worth. We've got to surrender to these things. We have to see that it's not enough for us to know that we can blaspheme God, but we have to know how we get there. I'll end by sharing with you a story of how God dealt with me as a young man. Part of my testimony is that I knew that I wasn't going to excel as the smartest kid in class and I wasn't certainly going to excel as the best athlete and I decided I was going to excel at something so I was going to be the best Christian. I was going to read my Bible more than anybody else. I was going to follow all the rules and do all the right things and I was going to live in all the right way and I was going to lift up the standard and I was going to hold it up before other kids and tell them that's how they're supposed to live as well, particularly kids who profess to be Christians. I did. I was in my mind, excelling at being a really good Christian. And I can remember, my mother could probably remember this, how arrogant I was getting. I can remember on one occasion in which I was sitting next to a couple young girls that were going to sing a duet during the service, and they were called to come forward to sing, and I was on the aisle on the outside, and I could, I could have just stepped out and let them walk out, but instead I stepped out and I pivoted in front of the whole congregation, looked at everybody in the eye, and then I sat back down, because I was sitting at the front, and I was a good Christian. <laughs> then, <laughs> it's embarrassing to say how pride takes hold of your life, when you think you're doing the right thing and you're adding it up as a credit to yourself compared to others. 
One night at a church meeting that we were at, an old man by the name of Bill Berg was coming and preaching. I was sitting right at the front and I was praying because some of my friends were sitting in the back and I was praying that they would repent. You know, that they'd see the truth and they'd give their life to God like I'd given my life to God. And in the middle of my prayer, something strange happened to me. I had a vision of hell. It was dark and ugly and deep and it was unending and it was just this endless depth of futility and lostness and it was endless progression of meaninglessness. And I, in my prayer, it was just in my mind, I, I said, oh God, I, I cannot bear the sight of the hell that my friends are going to. Please take that from my mind. And immediately God answered back to me and said, that's not hell. That's your own proud, sinful heart. And oh, I began to weep. I had blasphemed and dishonored the name of my God, thinking that I was better than others because of how religious and how committed I was to my faith. Surrender to him. Bow to him. Recognize that all that you have or ever will have be is because of the complete and utter mercy and grace of God to an undeserving sinner. Don't use your faith as a covering and a cloak for your own self-assertion. It may be that you're asserting yourself in your religious superiority, but it'll take you in the wrong direction. It will lead you further and further into sin. As you come before him and say, I'll boast of nothing else but Jesus and the cross where he died for my sins. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.